blue collar hour oh. with Al and Sal. Hey, Al. Yes. Remember when we were setting up? I said I have a surprise for you. Yes, you do. That was Did. it. That was it. That was it. Yeah. Can we start over again? <laughs> it was that very <laughs> anticlimactic. I'd rather get a pencil or something. Well, I yeah. worked on that. I worked on that. No, so that I, was cool. It was you liked it. Uh yeah. I could. Oh. The, the range was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I took vocal lessons. <laughs> if you can't tell. See that this is how the magic happens. Yes, yes. So anyway, um, our guest today is Chuck Downs. How are you today? Doing really well. What's up, Mr. Downs? Uh, what's like, up? Do you like what's to play up? on what, words? Oh, it's better than what's up, Chuck. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. How many times? How many times have you heard that over the years? Do you know what? Never mind. <laughs> this is being recorded. You I know. You, I know. That's so why you I stopped, stopped yourself. Stopped. He is a reverend. So he has to watch out what he says. Um, yeah. So. Um, Thanks for having us, being on with us. Um, so the reason I was excited to have you on because um, not too long ago you started your own podcast and it's a little different format, um, but I was very excited that, so that's why I wanted to have you on the show. Um, tell us a little bit about your podcast. So my podcast is called, um, what do you call it, Recovery, Faith, and Life Lessons Talk. I'm probably shortening it just Faith and Recovery. You know, or recovery and faith, RF. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, it's spawned out of you know my mentor encouraging me. Like you have a lot to say. You post a lot. You're in your word. You know, mm. you have lessons that you've learned that you can teach others. And um, and I have been working on that. Like as a youth leader and a young adults leader. And now I'm the actual you know director of it. And so I I took it seriously. But I've dragged my feet. And, you know, you guys probably know the process of getting the right um material to do the podcast how to upload it how to mm. brand it how to all this stuff and i talked to another friend that podcast and he's like you're going to start something you're not going to be good at it but you're going to get better and better and better it's and we know prove. we know that from yeah, experience yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and when i researched it i did google a lot i did check it out you guys they basically said three things either you have enough following and you name it after yourself and you just whatever mm-hmm. or you're creative and you have a cool name or you have an obvious name right. and so I went with an obvious the name, obvious. like, or, you know, Recovery Faith Talks. And um, you guys do one of the formats that I hope to do with mm. my wife eventually or other people, do interviews. It's either nice. you have material, you do interviews, or you just, you know, you go out and you do interesting things. And so yeah. um, I wanted to do this to share lessons and life um, things that I wish my father taught me or that I wish I can teach my future kids or whoever, like, yeah, just why, why learn from your own mistakes when you can learn from someone else's? Like, <laughs> Absolutely, that's why. That's why I hang out with Al because I learn from his <laughs> yeah. mistakes. Most it's, people it works out for well. A sounding, no, the uh, <laughs> your I think your, the way you do it is it's harder because you don't have anyone to bounce off of. You have to come up. You know what I mean? You have to speak the whole time. I think it's a lot it's more difficult without a, an interview. Right. And his know? is like yours is like it's like a twenty minute, twenty five minute vlog. <laughs> My mentor vlog. said do do seven to ten minutes because wow. that's that's appetizing to people. I haven't been successful. My intro was five minutes. That oh, was the, wow. but nobody's watching me but me on this one. My wife's a good sounding board, and every mm-hmm. time my backdrop, if you watch the YouTube, gets more and more centered, more and more lighting, more and more colorful mm. background. So, she's she's she'll have me in the better zone faster well, than that's, no. That's you, what wives usually. You know what though? I listen. I've listened to the last few. Yeah. And uh, you, you 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 have a really good speaking voice. You're, you're good at it. You're, you're really good at it. From what I heard, but you don't you know you don't stumble like me. Yeah. <laughs> don't stumble you. <laughs> That's all, folks. <laughs> if you count the you knows or the ums, yeah. I try to I try to chop those out with editing. It's great. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So there's half my magic. That's a lot. That's a lot of editing, right? <laughs> so yeah, well, I mean, the twenty minutes is it's palatable. Um, I get what he's saying about the seven minutes because. 
especially these days, like people have a short attention span, more or less. Um, you know, with everything that's like the uh, everything. Po- podcast though is great because uh-huh. podcasts people consume that while they drive, while they're doing stuff. Right. The YouTube views, especially, who's gonna yeah. click and invest in that? Like maybe it could Absolutely. be backdrop, but I don't know. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it, it, YouTube is way more popular, I think, than podcasting, right? Uh, it has more viewers, I would think. I guess it depends. I'm pretty sure. We haven't done the, the yeah. YouTube thing yet. But yeah, we're probably going to get into it. My YouTube is slacking. Like, like, I've seen the views on that. I think I think the podcasts get more views. Oh, really? Because I don't think, like, like probably what I just said, people aren't going to invest it or click to watch me right. like for 20 minutes. It just, it just seems like <laughs> if people are listening, they're doing something. So they're not going to sit there for the most part and, and watch. They're going to just listen. So you, I've listened to, you know, YouTube and, but I, I'm not like, I'm glancing at it, but I'm usually just in the process of doing something. Episode three, which I just did video editing on. I put a lot of visual stuff, you know, like scriptures and things like that. So I hope, hope to, you know, spice oh, it up. Cool. You know, I hope. Yeah. That's cool. So, so the podcast, um, how long have you thought about this? Has it been? So I had a meeting probably like, um, last November about it. And then I was reminded about it in February and I was like, that's it. My little sister's also doing a podcast. Oh, wow. And just about the time I was recording my first, I saw you guys post yours and I'm like, Sal's doing one. Oh, I wow. feel like I'm, I'm, fo- I'm following his coattails now. So I had to, I had to say hi and be like, yo, I didn't copy you. I've been trying well, to do this. Well, Chuck, I am quite the trailblazer. So, um, you know, that's what we call him at work. Oh yeah. Trailblazer. <laughs> trailblazer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so that's, great um so the recovery part um from what i've seen is um you you had a bit of a drinking problem um i don't know i guess it was a problem um now you mentioned about your father having mm-hmm. being yep. a drinker yep. can you tell us a little bit about that? so yeah so i i grew up and i don't have a perfect memory of childhood because uh-huh. you know you're glossed over your kid yeah. but I, to me my family was great we had fun we wanted family trips and maybe something changed when we got older, but I just remember being a teenager with me and my sisters, and mm. we were continuously being annoyed and bothered by some of my dad's behavior. Like, he mm. was, I guess we're very fortunate, he was just a talker when he drank, okay. and it was just a little more annoying, mm-hmm. um, you know, would not be quiet, and but he wasn't violent or anything like that, but it was very annoying, and also embarrassing oh, okay. sometimes, and so we didn't want people to come over or know about it and mm. stuff like that, but I, I think something changed. Maybe he worked nights and didn't work nights because um, from what I understand, he always drank, mm. um, but he did work nights for a long time, and so I think we only really noticed his habits bad, bad. One, we were teenagers, mm. cared about what people thought about us. Two, he probably was there during the days and so uh, in the weekends, and so we probably have more memory of that, but we, we butt heads, especially... You know, a son and their father butts yeah. heads. You probably know that one too oh, well. Yeah. Yep. And, and me and my sisters basically grew up being very annoyed by this. And we're like, we're never going to drink. We had a pack. Yeah. Me and my older and younger sister, we were like, never going to drink. Yeah. Never going to drink. And for years that worked until, you know, my older sister and her friends got older, maybe 20s, maybe past 20s. And they started dabbling. And me and my little sister were like, excommunicate her. She has <laughs> broke the pack. Like, <laughs> she is enemy number one. You know, you, you're just like our parents. Yeah. You're taking the, the wrong road. Yeah. But I turned, I, I was, I was like 17, 18 and my friends are coming over to play video games mm. and they saw my older sister having her garage parties and they were like, Hey, we want to go in there. And it was like, you can go in there, but I'm going to play video games. And I had good friends and I always came in and played. But by the time I was 20, 21, about to deploy, I did go 
to one of those garage parties, you know, and I had my first taste of like, um, I, I remember it clearly. It was uh, Captain Morgan mm-hmm. and I got buzzed. I remember that feeling. I remember being loose and enjoying it and mm-hmm. having a great time. That's and great, I was like, yeah. I, I won't do this again. That but I did, I, but I, but I knew, I knew I didn't want to do it in the way because I didn't want to be like my family, my dad. So I, didn't really go off the high horse until I got back from my deployment. Now, I know that you mentioned, uh, uh, I guess, a term, you know, it's either nature. It's a, if you do drink, it's a lot, a little bit from nature and a little bit from nurture. Yep. Right? S- studies show that, and you know, I'm not a scientist, but studies show that if you're exposed to something in your family, you're more likely to do it. Mm. And being in ministry, being, you know, going to counseling and just doing life, I firmly, firmly believe that we all catch things from people mm. far more than we're taught. So if you hang out with your family, it's not them teaching you. It's more mm. you catching it. Your right. dad's attitudes, your mom's habits. And mm. that's why when you people get married, you know, it's two families and different attitudes coming together. Right. And then they start catching each other's stuff and they change and we blend. Yeah. And uh, especially in ministry, I found that, you know, you can preach all you want. You can do this. Don't. My dad always says, do what I say, not, not as I do. Right, right. That's the exact opposite of what I just said is the truth of life. The truth of life is you catch yeah. what they're doing more than what yeah. anyone says. And that's that's life. Yeah. And it's, it's <laughs> subtle too, right? It's little subtleties. Like you don't even realize it. You know, you hang around someone and you act like saying the same phrases, speaking like them, and you're like, all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow. Like, yeah. like accents. If you go to Boston, mm-hmm. you're going to start popping off the Boston accent. It's psychology. Mm-hmm. We want to simulate to other people. Mm-hmm. It's a natural thing. Yeah, you you deployed. You said, "Yep." Yeah, let's get into that because uh, you were a marine. Yes. No, once a marine, always a marine. Yeah. Is that how it is? Yeah. Uh, but so, I was I was what they call a, a reservist, so maybe it doesn't oh. count. But I deployed twice, so okay. that, that's that's kind of like the bravado thing. People joke joke <laughs> like you're a weekend warrior. Or, uh, okay. You know, I'm active. You know, active. Like you didn't drink or, 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 your first deployment at all when you were over there. I, no, I, wow. I I literally stayed away from it because I still didn't want to be like my dad, and I didn't I didn't know these people. Like I de- I was with a Massachusetts unit, mm. and all the newbies who didn't deploy in two thousand six or seven with the New England unit, like myself, we t- attached to a Pennsylvania unit that went over in Iraq, and so I I didn't know the Massachusetts people at all, but I didn't I really didn't know these Pennsylvania guys. Right. Mm. And right before I deployed is when someone like told me about Jesus. I was afraid about killing someone in Iraq or dying and then killing someone. So I, I was reading the Bible. I was staying to myself quite a bit, but I kind of had my heart broken before I got home. Like someone who I thought was going to be a girlfriend or whatever, mm. like left me. And then I was with a bunch of Marines for like three or four weeks with nothing to do in California. They call it demobing. Mm. And you literally have nothing. You have a few classes and, and those guys knew my troubles, and mm. I knew them by the end of the deployment. Yeah. And they were like, "Come on, Downs, you know, come on out with us." Or she's mm. a crap, you know, she's this or that. And it's like, "Come on!" And I remember going out drinking with them that first night, and it was a karaoke bar. And I remember like we were gonna get in a fight with someone. We left, and they gave me my first dip. And I remember putting that in my lip, oh, and it woke man. me up. But it also made me like kind of like, like weird, like nicotine high or drunk mm. or whatever and so we did a walk around the block and then we came back to the karaoke bar you know no fights this time but i somehow got up on stage to do <laughs> wild wild west oh, and, uh, cool, and i guess cool i don't remember body. i do not remember that part my people had to tell me about that but i guess i had side dancers oh, like wow. helping me out with my wild wild west but that's also the night that i barfed on the way back to base yeah. like holding my belt 
out of the van, you know, they, if you're in Oceanside out in California, like the taxi guys know who's, who's going out and what they're doing <laughs> and they know the drill. Like they either got plastic down or the, the taxi's not looking good anyway. So you can bar where you need to go, you know? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's, so I came back and after that I went drinking and partying with them and I came back, I was 21 birthdays in January. So all my friends are at URI seniors, juniors, none of them are 21. So they're like, Hey, come on down. Uh, so I, I, I was a very social drinker that summer. I started going to church too, but I just didn't get to know anybody there. Cause I'm like, I'll sit in the back. I don't want to, I don't want them to judge me. I don't want them to find me out. Mm. Um, but I, I went down to URI all the time, you know, on campus, off campus. I remember I had, I had a lot of good drinking buddies. I could go to Chili's whenever I want. TGF Fridays open till three or two or 1am every day of the week. And I was okay with myself a little bit. At first I was like, oh, I'm just like dad. I'm just like my family. But there's a thing in our brain, um, that you know, when you do something that you don't believe in, over time, you, if you keep doing it, you, you feel bad about it, but over time, it, it doesn't release the same chemical, mm-hmm. and it, you don't feel bad about it anymore. It's like normalize it. Yep. It's like normalize it, yeah. it, right? The Bible says you yeah. sear your conscience, and I think that's where the science and the Bible mm-hmm. come together. Like you, you, you don't want to do this, but you keep doing it. Yeah. You don't feel bad anymore. Yeah. And so by the end of the summer, I just justified it. I don't black out often. I don't barf often. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't drink and drive. I didn't do that the first year. And I told myself I didn't miss work. So I justified my drinking. So right. I'm not a drunkard. I'm, I'm not getting, I'm not doing anything stupid or bad or that super bad, but that's how I justified it. And, mm-hmm. and it really, and I kept going like that, but it get worse and worse. Um, that, uh, the next summer my drinking buddies maybe not as frequent. So I had to drive myself and mm-hmm. then I had to drive myself and I remember that's when I first started drinking and driving a little bit. I'd have like two beers and I'd be like, oh, I'm not going to do it. But eventually like there's some nights I went too hard and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to make it. Right. And it seems like every time one of those nights happened, something happened. Like, um, someone, someone made me angry. So I, you know, after two beers, so I left and like, I remember I got pulled over oh. like right outside the town hall. I thought my dumb brain was like talking to somebody and then someone was you know, pulling up on me like hard, like tailgating. Mm. And I was like, Oh, this got to be someone I know. Gave it some gas. Uh, We're in front of the town hall where the cops are. Uh, <laughs> and the person I was kind of talking to basically has one of the, is connected to one of those dispatch people or has a scanner. Yeah. And they were like, I, I wasn't looking at my phone. That phone was gone. You know, and I was pulled over and the officer's like, you're lucky. I, I respect, you know, mil- you know, veterans or right. whatever military, you mm. know? And cause I told him I only had two and I'm good. He's like, I can smell beer on you, but you you know, you live down the street, you can go. I look at my phone when I get home or afterwards, and it's like, how how to feel to get pulled over? And I was cocky as all heck back then. I was like, justice, I got let go. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, you know, and that's not that's not always the case. I could easily have been a Dewey, you know, if someone wanted to push it. And yeah. and I remember years later, my drinking buddy, who we we didn't mind him drinking, drinking and driving, mm-hmm. and he would, you know, that was part of the shady deal, like. You're connected. You're never going to get a ticket. So I'll, I'll put my hands in your life and I'm sure we'll be fine. Hmm. But that's a horrible friend, like yeah. letting him have all the risk and, and us have all the risk. And But I remember one night I was supposed to drive of us. And I, again, I went to go leave. This was like year two after that deployment. And I, I literally <laughs> saw, I was like, guys, I don't think we should do this. I think we should just sleep in the car for a bit. You know, like, ah, I got to get home. I got to do this. And so I'm like, okay, but if I'm pulling over, if I don't feel good, I made it like, maybe a two a block or two and i was seeing the double lines like they talk mm. about there's two yellow lines mm-hmm. but i was seeing four 
going crisscross, and I was like, nope, we're, we're good. And I pulled over, and I was like, we can take a nap, or someone can drive, but I, I, I'm saying I'm not driving, and I think we should take a nap. So that was like, I knew things were getting bad or worse when that was happening. Progressively worse. Now, you were in Iraq the first deployment. Um, how long were you in Iraq? Uh, the full nine months for the Marines. Marines usually deploy, like they're gone for a year, but it's usually like three months of training mm-hmm. in country. You know, Rhode mm-hmm. uh, Mass, uh, what do you call it, U.S., mm-hmm. and then you get 10 days leave or something, and okay. then, then you go in country for the nine months. Okay. So we were there for nine months <clears> in western see, Iraq. Did you catch any, um, uh, nothing? It, really? was, it was 2008 um, into 2009, very quiet over there. Okay. Like, the push to Fallujah and stuff was kind of over, you mm-hmm. know, in 07 and 08. You know, there's still hot spots. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we were reservists, and I don't think they sent us to the hot spots but we were like a glorified gas station and perimeter patrol for the Western. I got to visit the Jordan and Syria border. Like, oh, wow. like we were in the far Western <laughs> Iraq. So we stopped by, talked to their guards, mm. drove over here, talked to their guards, drove back. But I never left the turret. I was one of the few machine gunners like in the infantry unit that we attached to. Um, I liked it that way. I felt safe in yeah. the tu- on the Tumby turret. I felt yeah. safe, nice. you know, yeah. in the the tower. You know, I, I did not want to talk to anybody. I didn't know the language and really trust anybody. Yeah. I was looking at the sheep like, <laughs> you got bombs. Where you at? It was very it was very yeah, rural. Yeah. Like we weren't yeah. when we whenever we went to, through a city or near a city, I always like puckered up extra because yeah. like this is my first tour. I didn't know what's going on, but. They want. They showed us the movie Three Hundred, like as a battalion before we left. Imagine they wanted. That. They wanted. They were ready for war. We were warriors. <laughs> oh, yeah. We were, our company was Echo Hard. You know, oh, yeah. it was known as Boot Camp uh, First Platoon. It's because oh, yeah. they were just all by the numbers, very hard on people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we only had a few false alarms at deployment. There was like some gunshots um across the way like there was where we were and then there was like an uh, iraqi army training base with a few like mediators like u.s people training them Mm. and one day there's like a convoy going by the main road there's that you know the iraqi like trainee base and then there's our base and Mm. one day we just heard machine gun fire go it sounded like controlled but it was still first thing we ever heard there, and yeah, we're like, "What's going on? What's going on?" And this is the perfect time when we're switching shifts on the post, so I'm getting briefed to go on my post, and all this stuff goes on. And we're like, "What? What's going on? Do I go to post? Do we go to the trucks?" Like we're all like, first time. What's going on?" <laughs> and so, going so the now, sergeants right? are just like, "If you're going on post, you're going on post. Just yeah. get there. Be you know, be safe." And everyone on the radio is like, "You know, what's going on?" Nobody knew what was going on, mm. <laughs> and basically the. The convoy is just traveling by, random occurrence. The Iraqi trainees were actually a few dunes away that way shooting their training (laughs) rounds. But nobody had communication of this, so the convoy thought there was something going down. We thought there was something going down because we weren't connected to these people. This was another unit just passing by, maybe getting gas from us. So that was like the first false alarm, and it was like, whoa, what's going to happen? Another, uh, yeah. Did you have any interactions with the the people, the... the, uh Iraqis. I had very little because I I didn't leave my you know my turret and now mm-hmm. I know why I'm talking about it. I was one of the few machine gunners, so like I'm trained in this, so like they didn't need me to leave. You know they wanted the right way. You, you know, were. so that makes yeah. sense. But one time they we were parked and we had enough security that they did invite me into one of their powwow meetings, mm-hmm. and and I was young. I was like twenty, like mm-hmm. very baby face, no mm-hmm. you know whatever. 
and they were just, you know, the, the one thing they could bust on was like the sergeants were having the meeting with everybody else and there was an interpreter and they're just like, yeah, look at this kid, baby face. <laughs> and I was just like, what are you doing guys? Like, what are you doing? Like, I, I'm not comfortable with any of this. Like, I don't want to be in this room. I don't want to be near people and you're talking about me. Like what's going on? But I had some of their chai and uh, it was delicious. It was very, very sugary chai. Like yeah. it's their tea. Their, oh, yeah. yep. And I was like, I remember that. And yeah, that was yeah, nice. But I, I, I just couldn't wait to get back in that turret. I was like, right. let me. You weren't very uncomfortable. Like your safe it. zone? Yeah. I was yeah. like, yeah. And what's, what's crazy is though, that was my first deployment in 2008. And I didn't leave the turret practically. Um, and nothing happened. False alarms all around. When we were um, in 2011, when we went to Afghanistan, south, south southern, mm. we actually were patrolling around and, you know, security for Camp Leatherneck, which is actually a pretty well-known one. Um, it was on the cover of National Geographic at one oh, wow. point because all the wastewater that comes out of Leatherneck, mm -hmm. um, you know, is actually used by the locals for farming and whatnot. And, oh, wow. and there's actually a person that dominates the control of it. And they, the nickname was like the Poop River King, but it wasn't, <laughs> but it wasn't you know, that wasn't the, the word they used. And yeah, yeah. when you rolled through that water, you, you had to rinse off those humbies real, yeah. real good. But my first day out of the wire with um, on that deployment, I was you know they did half the half the vehicles you know the, the unit that's been there and half the vehicle was the unit that's coming on, and that I, I searched over two hundred people on bikes and things oh, wow. that day. That must have I, been we, I was right just, I, I got broken into that real quick like I was amazed. Uh, we pulled off plenty of you know Afghanistan's world's number one out, um, what's it called uh, out. Their main output, what's that word? Export. Export, Export. is um is opium, is 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 uh, uh is you know the source of narcotics for pharmaceuticals, yeah. for heroin, for whatever. So seventy percent of the world is narcotics, you know, opium comes from them. Mm. And so out of these two hundred people we searched, we picked off bricks and things of, oh, wow. of oh, wow. stuff. And I don't remember if we were supposed to confiscate it or not. Like I think we did, but like to them, this is their their, their country's livelihood. livelihood. Yeah. To us, you're facilitating the world's drug, you know, and whatnot. And mm -hmm. but that's economics, that's politics, that's mm -hmm. you know. Um, but that same day, that first day out, we we our our our, our patrol circled up our vehicles on one dune. And we saw our guys three miles away circling up theirs, and all. And I was in the. I think I was in the gunner. No, I was think I was either in the gunner or the front seat, but I was looking their way. Mm. And as they're circling, coiling up on top of their thing, I just see a big, big plume of smoke come up and sand. And I was like, I was like, they they just hit, they just got had an explosion or something. And a second later, the you know because it was three miles away or something it took a the sound and the explosion to hit us but the shockwave hit oh, us wow. and it's like That's... they just they just hit ied first day out and they oh wow the but he was hurt they had mine rollers and the and the unit we're replacing is like all chill taking pose and just oh, no having way. a good time <laughs> all our sergeants are like you will not be this comfortable you will button up we will be strict we're just gut here even they're fine but you were we're boot camp first they didn't say that but that's the attitude they were given and um, I just remember being like, we're not in Kansas anymore. My first yeah. deployment, nothing. Second deployment, first day out. Wow. Hands are full and difference. busy. Mm -hmm. like. And you think Iraq, maybe I guess where you were in Iraq, you, there'd be a little more than Afghanistan. It, 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 it really is just like neighborhoods and things. It just depends on where the action is, yeah. what's going on. And uh, Iraq was, we were a glorified gas station in the boonies and there wasn't yeah. much going on right. in Iraq at the time. Afghanistan. 
They are actively growing poppy everywhere and, mm-hmm. and, and fighting over who's getting it and who's going to control it. Like Generally, there's, like, there's basically four so many warlords and they cover each section and they're like the CEOs of the narcotics trade for their different border. And so that's they're paying all these people money to grow opium and we're trying to tell them to grow something else. We're trying to support the local government. Nobody's gonna pay them to grow anything but this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, 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 yeah. like that's just economics, and that was Absolutely. just a weird, weird thing. <laughs> what yeah. else are you gonna make corn? Can I have corn from Iraq? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Right? So that was interesting. And when you were in the midst of all that, you know, there's danger yeah. everywhere. Yeah, and oh, man. and and the cool thing was though, um, not cool, different. Iraq, lots of old ordnance, and that's what they made IDs out of. Is like old shells, very destructive, mm. shape charges, kill vehicles, kill people. And in Iraq and Afghanistan, they still did some of that, but a lot of times it was just farmer bombs, kind of like the Oklahoma stuff. They just like, took mm. a bunch of fertilizer. fertilizer. Mm. They did what they got to do to it, mm. and luckily it's just a little less explosive, a little less dense. So like when they when we did run over them, our we had nice armored vehicles, up armored vehicles then the, that the it, with it. with nice specialized bottoms that you know would disperse the um the explosions. So like wow. we, we were mm. we we hit a few that time. Um, but most people were okay. We, we sadly had one guy that got his bell rung twice, and they really try to cycle out people. So if you got your bell rung, you you never vehicle anymore, so mm-hmm. you don't get a double tap because mm-hmm. concussions are you know oh, yeah. are are damaging as we know. That's so, awful. Yeah. Oh, that's but crazy. but that deployment sobered me up. I uh, I didn't drink at all on that deployment, and when I was in the word away from everything, yeah. God was like, "What you've been doing is messed up," and. You know, you can't lie about it anymore. Like, and if you love me, why are you doing this? And so, like, yeah. after that, I was, like, I was convicted, and I was, and I, like, called the girlfriend. I was, like, hey, when I get home, no drinking and no none of the, what we've been doing. Mm. And she was, like, yeah, I love you. Like, I support you 100%. And when I got home, I didn't put up boundaries from some things, failed, felt so angry about it. Um, even drinking, I was good for six months. I, like, mm. don't, don't go out drinking with my buddies no more. I don't do that stuff. But then me and the girlfriend go to Ireland, and I'm like, oh, I'm Irish. Go. That's the like, worst. I, 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 I was, I would, I'm only had, I had half a Guinness, and I passed it away. I, I did not finish a beer. Mm. That is a world record for me, not finishing a drink. So I came back to you know my recovery circles and my accountability, and I was like, hey, I only had half a beer. Like that's pretty amazing. <laughs> and that's the place, Ireland. If you're gonna, <laughs> so so, uh, so you were first time nine months. Uh, deployment and in between couple years yeah it was 2000 so 2008 to like 2009 may and then i was home and then i think i deployed it, it was pretty much whenever they killed osama and Lanin was like a few days before i deployed because oh, wow. everybody called me he's like hey you don't have to deploy anymore he's dead i'm like oh i still gotta go yeah why 3 a.m like they're all at the bar get got the news you know yeah, zero yeah, dark you 30 happen at zero dark 30 like <laughs> you don't have to go anymore <laughs> i was they, like that they, they're giving not, you your orders yeah you don't it's have not to how this works yeah, i'm yeah. going to bed now <laughs> so was that was that another nine months there it was uh, less because okay. because um they uh we stirred the pot by we actually eventually didn't force no poppy after months and months of telling them, hey, mm. grow something else, grow something else. About a week after we enforced it with the local army and police, whatever, mm. IEDs went from one one explosion a month 
to one a week. Wow. Yeah. They they didn't want us there. Nobody like nobody no. liked us anymore. Wow. And uh and they were like, Okay guys, we're gonna transition you guys out and uh, we're gonna bring a new unit in because maybe the new unit can be like, Hey, we weren't that unit. We didn't do this bad oh. stuff to you. You know, we're a new unit. Don't blow us up. Don't shoot at us. Oh, wow. We're never gonna you know, like like they so I think we did six months. Oh. Um and then yeah, yeah. Wow. So you said um we there got you, you Somewhat got you sober. Um, <laughs> somewhat. It was, oh, no, it no. Was... I, I, I did not get... I never got drunk after that deployment. I um, okay. I, I had that one beer in um, in Ireland, and then I was like, oh, I didn't get drunk. So in my head, my justification is I'm not getting drunk. <laughs> I, I still have clean time. <laughs> so I think I started going to Chili's and just having one beer like a week. <laughs> but that one beer turned into like, you know, from a small one to a big one and... <laughs> Starting to get, you know, I was chasing that buzz or just a little bit of buzz. Mm. And by that time, my sponsor at the meeting was like, Hey, if you're drinking and you have a drinking problem, you don't have any clean time and you should, you know, you know, you, got, you can't, you shouldn't mm. be drinking. And I was like, Wow, you're right. Why didn't I think that? Now, <laughs> now when you were there, you, you, uh, and I think you kind of touched on this quickly, but in your podcast, you said that in, you know, non-christians might not understand this you said god spoke to you so let me ask you this was it now people might not understand what that means and yeah. they, like, they might think it's chuck this is god you know <laughs> I, I didn't i had a, i had so yeah. much doubt and in yeah. back then my dad was a skeptic i yeah. grew up believing the church was just get want your money people control that's you know my dad taught me so yeah and so i didn't trust people government or whatever but i but before that first appointment People told me about Jesus. Mm. I was really worried about whoever was real and who was God was going to judge me. Before war, I'm like, I'm fine. I don't kill. I don't steal. I'm not bad. But thinking about possibly killing a child, possibly blowing up somebody's family, like inadvertently or whatever, and then dying, I'm like, whoever's up above or whoever's in charge, I don't. I wasn't so secure. So I was yeah. really looking for some comfort or some guidance like i want to basically know that guy so that we can at least have some like hey let's hash this out man like yeah. what do i gotta do what Being should right i do standing. you know yeah. instead of i don't know you fire button you know like mm. i was raised catholic i was just i know about wrath my dad told me a story this kid skipped church one time when growing up and that's when you put on the sunday school and you all walk to church together he's like this one kid was playing basketball and not coming to church and he and and they were like he's like he, his excuse was his clothes weren't ready you know, yeah. and so his dad like never forgot my dad never forgot and he was like that kid's gonna get struck by lightning one of these days, and oh, I don't want to be near him when it happens so whenever they played tag or manhunt he would actively stay away from him <laughs> because he just thought in his head he's gonna get hit and he didn't want to be next to him when it happened <laughs> and I laugh at that story yeah. but it's real it's what, what we're taught you know yeah, taught. So, so, when, so when God spoke to me, I, I didn't really believe it. And yeah. even then, I didn't think it was God. I literally was like, I'm reading the Bible, and my own brain, like, convicted me, like, really hard. Like, yeah. I, that's how I justified it, because yeah. it, all it said was, if you love me, why do you keep sinning this way? And I was reading the Bible, and I was yeah. like, and I'll, immediately I knew my drinking my drunkenness, my carousing, my you know, immoral relationships. You know, I was having sex before marriage. and yeah. But my justification for that was like, I'm with one woman at a time. I'm faithful. 
Like I justified everything. Like I was like most people, like, you know, justifying. Make it. And so, but at that moment I could, I, I couldn't lie to myself. Was it like an audible voice or was it It, inspiration? It was, it was like in the mind. It was like in the ear, but it was loud. It was clear. It was not me per se. And so, but I didn't believe in that stuff. So I was like, this is just what I read in the Bible and my brain yelling at me. But after a few years of church and being sober and, and like actually believing this stuff. Cause I was, a, I was a super skeptic the first few years I read the Bible. I believed in Jesus, but I didn't trust people or men or preachers. I'm like, they're all hypocrites. They're all unfaithful. And I was kind of reflecting on my own life and my own family and my mm-hmm. own stuff. Like I know my faults, like no man is perfect. And the Bible says so, but I was overemphasizing that pessimistic. Mm-hmm. Like my dad taught me to be, you know, <laughs> <laughs> when you, uh, you say you had a, kind of an epiphany, right? Was it a a single event where you heard where you actually? That was that that was the first time anything like that has ever happened, and so I didn't believe it to be God at first. But as after a year more going to church and actually starting to believe and going to prayer meetings, I um I actually admitted I'm like I believe that was God or the Holy Spirit because there's this it's all mysterious and everybody's got their own interpretation because I I honestly justified it as that was me saying it to me right. but as the years went on I'm like probably not because i haven't heard anything like that in a long time mm. like nothing that was a message that you needed to hear at the time yeah so you got your message you didn't really drink um um at what point i mean did you think that you had a problem i heard you say that you didn't even <laughs> know for sure if you had a problem so this is funny because that first deployment i came back a drinking man mm. And my drinking buddy, my really good one, who drove us everywhere and would never get in trouble, at the end of the summer, that summer, we're both 20, 21, going mm-hmm. to parties, and he's like, man, we go to these parties, we have fun with these girls, we drink, but I feel like we have nothing to show for it. I feel like I'm in a rut. And I was like, I don't feel like I'm in a rut. Uh, I go to church on Sundays, you want to try that? Yeah, yeah. And so he came, and I, they always do altar call. I was show up late and then I kind of leave early, but they always do an altar call. They're like, Hey, you know, this is some stuff that God's been saying and doing, or maybe you're dealing with this, this and that. And I, you know, we just want to pray for you. So if you, if you relate with any of this, you know, come forward. Like Mm. there's always this call to come to the altar. And I, for the whole summer was like, if God is God, you can get me in my seat. I felt a pull. They were always talking about me. They were always hitting my heart, Mm. but I was like stubborn. And I'm like, I'm not moving. If God is God, he can get me in my seat. Like I literally would just sit there in the back. Like I'm not getting up. Like, Nah. And uh, and then my buddy comes to church and they do an altar call. And he's like, hey, do you see yourself like having this emptiness in your life, a hole that's a God-shaped hole in your life and you're filling it with booze and partying and girls and weed or whatever. And like, it's not being filled. It's like, come up here and let us pray for you. And my buddy, I was like, again, I'm like, I'm not getting up. My buddy's like, yo, that's us. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> crap. I'm not going to stop him from like finding God or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. so we went up. And, you know, someone prayed for him. And I remember Pastor Jason Fuentes prayed for me. I didn't know him at the time. He was just some dude. But he's like, hey, what's going on? He's like, well, I told him. First thing out of my mouth, I was like, I don't know if I have a drink problem. Mm. But I do drink. And uh, he's like, okay, well, well, let me just pray for you. And he prayed for me, encouraged me. And he said, hey, we have an addiction or we have a meeting on Wednesdays. You you and your friend should check it out. No Mm. idea what it was. It was Mm. uh, ended up being a, a rise. It's a 12-step, you know, Christ-centered, spirit-centered meeting. And so I had no idea what any of that was. So I showed up. My buddy didn't. He was like, ah, I'm good. 
Yeah. You want to go to Ulta, but not the meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> I, I, I'm black and white guy. Like yeah. if someone, I, I'm gonna, if I say so, I'm gonna do something to someone, I'm gonna do it unless I, you know, you know, really can't or. But so I said I'd go. So I show up, and I'm mm-hmm. like, we're in a circle. You know, they go over the rules, and I'm like, I'm welcomed by some people. You know, some good dudes. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, I don't know if I have a problem. But the stories I heard were so amazing, sad as well as funny, that I'm like, in my juvenile head, I was like, I don't know if I have a problem, but I'm keeping coming just for the stories. Like, <laughs> the rule is you can't talk about it, so I'm fine yeah, with that. Yeah. So I, I was going to this move, move meeting pretty much every Wednesday mm. for three years, from 2009 oh, wow. to, to that deployment, you know, the first <laughs> one, the second one, or, or after the first one and into the second one. And I never raised my hand. I never claimed sobriety. I never, I, I talked sometimes. But I never collected clean time, and mm. but they loved me and accepted me. And going there, I, f- I really felt the love of God for the first time because everyone talked about feeling God, hearing God. I, I felt and heard nothing, probably because I was drinking all the time and I didn't really <laughs> spend a lot. <laughs> but, but, but the, through the mentors and the people that you know, they didn't judge me for not drinking. They didn't judge. I mean, for drinking, mm. they, they loved me where I was at, and I really felt relationship and acceptance there. I think uh, when I hear you say, and a lot of people, I didn't know if I had a drinking problem. Because it seems like, you know, when you drink, it's never a problem until there's a problem. Right? Until it comes into light. Like, all right. Unless you get the Dewey. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, if you're all having fun, you're having a good time, I'm a young man, blah, blah, blah. Then you get the Dewey. Right? Then you might get two. Then that becomes more of a problem. Or, God forbid, if you hurt somebody, yep. kill yep. someone, then it's a problem. Or you miss work. Oh, yeah, and you don't and you don't mind, you know, right, and you get sick right. of finding new jobs that, you know, yeah. won't so, fire you. So, yeah. So, I mean, I think in your case, for the most part, I think you nipped it in the bud before it came a serious problem. But I think there's people out that don't think it's a problem because I'm just having fun. Well, he... Yeah. As a former addict, I've been clean a long time. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah as soon as as soon as you cross the line the first time, you you, you have a problem. Mm. As soon as you as soon as you make an excuse of why you're crossing the line, because when I was a kid, I never said to myself, "I'm gonna shoot heroin one day. It's gonna be great. I can't wait." <laughs> yeah. No, right. it was it was crossing the line always. So I know you know exactly what you're saying. And and, and I love addiction recovery meeting because they talk about it. anything you give time or energy repetitively that mm. negatively affects your life is an addiction. And I was like, when I heard that the first few meetings, I'm like, I might not have a drinking problem, but I know I have all these other problems. And I, and I was a believer. I was reading the Bible. So I, I saw the synonymous, we all have sin. We all have problems that we do every day. And so in a way, we all have addictions. But I know there's a taboo with 12-step and recovery, you know, and not, not everyone's as open, you know, about their recovery or issues. Um, but I, I believe there's a lot of freedom in talking about it. That's why those toe steps are made. What you say there stays there. Mm. And then you kind of over the years realize you're not alone. All these I identify with all the anger problems here, manipulation problems there, drinking problems, temptations. Like we all mm. are in this together, you know. And, and yeah. Well, that's what your, your podcast, the last one, I listened to the last one. You say some things that I think everybody goes through. I mean, you, you, that, that's the good part of what, what you talk about as far as getting angry and you hurt people when you're angry. I, you know, that's that's life. And I think with you, as opposed to Al, um, with the drugs, alcohol is more social, socially acceptable, oh, yeah. right? As oh, opposed yeah. to, say, heroin or cocaine or, or whatnot, or even 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 marijuana. I mean, marijuana is becoming more socially acceptable, but 
you know, the drinking, the alcohol, it's, hey, it's only having a couple beers, only having a shot. But the, but the, the thought is this, with, with marijuana, because you can talk about that, it, the pot isn't going to kill you, but it's going to lead to something mm. that's not that's, that's Well, they say it's a gateway. Good. Yeah, well, even besides that, it's just not... Yeah. It chills you out. It takes your motivation. It can make you paranoid. Like, you know, it can... Mm-hmm. Oh, it can there. It can make you a couch potato. It can make you, like, whatever. And, and I've heard teachers... Many testimonies about this. They've gone through high school in New York City and Providence, Pawtucket, and the teachers will say, I don't like heroin or all these other drugs, but I haven't seen another drug rob students of their futures like marijuana in such uh-huh. worth because they're just – people just glazed over or, you know, whatever, you know. Oh, I forgot my homework or what's up, bro? Like, you know, there's this culture mentality. Absolutely. Like, yeah, but, and the, but the people who do <laughs> smoke it, um, and I've, I've smoked that. I was one of those paranoid people for the most part. Um, <laughs> I, I guess that's just my nature in general, but, um, it's more like you get, you have the argument, well, it's better than alcohol yeah, because guess what? You might not, you know, you're not going to get, you know, aggressive. You're not going to, uh, get in a fight. You're not going to probably kill someone. You just chill whatever. So, I mean, that's an argument, but I mean, it's a, it's a very, it's a myth. shallow that's a, that's all, that, that is shallow in, in the halls of recovery you, and this blew my mind and I learned about it in other small groups at church and counseling but in recovery they say the day you pick up a substance or it could be a habit the day you pick it up is the day you stop growing emotionally or dealing with life on life's terms like Absolutely. if you don't deal with your anger or sadness or frustration because you just always drink or always smoke yeah. you're you're coping with whatever it is what it could be you know it could be eating it could be po- smoking and so like mm. you're emotionally stunted and then if you do want to sober up it is hard work to figure out how to do life on life's terms without that crutch without Absolutely. that coping in in um in the counseling, they said it this way, and I never thought about this. You cannot numb just a part of yourself. So if you're, like, sad and you're trying to, like, feel better and you drink, mm. you're not just feeling not sad. You're not feeling anything. You're numbing every part of your body, every part of your relationship mm-hmm. with people. So you're really stunting your growth in a lot of ways because you can't – and it blew me away. You cannot numb just a little bit of you. You're numbing mm. all of you, and I was just blown away by that. So you stunt yourself and – um. And that's why a lot of healing and change and recovery doesn't happen because you're you're numbing instead of mm. dealing with it. Right. And I was shocked when I heard this because the reason like I still have anger problems is because I've been coping with that in different ways. Like I, don't I keep see you busy. Having anger problems. Charlene. You don't live don't, with me. Can you get you angry? don't live with me. You talk to my wife. <laughs> Charlene, does he have uh, anger problems? <laughs> I think I, in one of the podcasts I might have hinted at it, but she, while we were dating and engaged, though I'm this holy reverend, this great church guy. She was adamantly afraid of what my anger was going to look like, you know, to our kids or in the marriage because she has heard me with the voice. My dad used the voice. He wasn't mm-hmm. about corporal punishment. And we, we feared this voice. Oh, wow. And um, I knew that for most of my early age until, I, until he was a little, a little tipsy in our teenage years. Yeah. And he used the voice jokingly. Mm. And we were like, huh? <laughs> you 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 can do that on commands, and after that we just laughed at him, and that wasn't good either. But yeah. that like that probably caused him to drink more. But uh, <laughs> we 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 but the voice comes out, and it's a scary, you know, dark barking thing that mm. is not there normally. But then it comes out, and it spooks you, which is can be great for certain things like giving commands. 
mm. and, but hopefully not saying some horrible things or, <laughs> yeah. or, or kept giving a back. command to your wife or someone inappropriately. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you're talking about, you know, the, the alcohol, drugs, you know, numbing you. Um, and it's, it's like, it's a vicious cycle. Where, where is it? Where is it? At? And, oh. and I think, you know, it's, you know, we talk about the root of things as opposed to the fruit. You have to get deep down to the root, the root of your problem and do that. It's going to just numb it. So how do you, you know, how do you suggest to someone who does have an alcohol problem, drug problem, whatnot, how do you suggest that they do that? So everything's about, and I would say going to a meeting, talking to strangers, probably not, not a doable one for people's comfort, but I would say talk to somebody you trust or look up to or call a hotline, you know, that's mm -hmm. anonymous. Mm. A lot of these meetings are anonymous. Um, I would encourage talking to someone privately and in the military. They say that all the time, like, Hey, cause especially because post-traumatic stress is such an issue, and, mm. but there's such taboo about it. But literally the only thing that heals, um, wounds and you can wound if you don't like talking about it, if you don't like thinking about it, going there, it's probably a wound. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing you can do with a wound is bring light to it in healthy, good ways. Expose it, and then with, when you're vulnerable, that's how you can be get healing. You can't if you don't never address this thorn in your side, mm -hmm. it's gonna get infected and cause blood poisoning and go to your heart and kill you. Mm -hmm. I literally had a splinter as a child, mm -hmm. and that there was the blood bl blood poisoning line going up, and because wow. because I thought it was just a normal cut, mm -hmm. but it literally if it got to my heart, it could kill me. Right. So like wounds are like that if you don't deal with it if you don't bring it to light and clean it up and you have to deal with it you have to be vulnerable um so i'd say bring it to light with somebody yep. somewhere and the meetings aren't honest you go far away one you can call any counselor you can call any pastor really if they're a man of god a woman of god they'll make time for you your family they love you like despite all the crap they probably give you and they'll probably be in here they'll probably be sympathetic more than you know your friends too and, and when I got real with the, that pastor, like I was going to that church for three years, not connected to nobody, drinking, doing my own thing. When I finally like broke up with a girlfriend, had some real sobriety time, I like went up to one of the pastors and was like, hey, um, this is what I've been doing. I know it's wrong now. I don't want to do it anymore. And I feel real bad because I was a bad, bad example of a Christian. To all these women I was with, all my drinking buddies, I'm, I'm like, I feel bad. I want to change. And, and he was like, I feel like you're honest and real. And guess what? God will honor that. And you just put the next foot forward. And Any and, temptations uh, to drink? A or? few times, yeah. I actually had a few relapses. Like, I didn't get drunk, but that's, you know, the first one happened when I was graduating. Like, I, you know, I, 2008, yeah, 2011, I started actively not drinking or trying not to drink. And I think I started going to your I graduated CSRI with some of my college buddies, when we went, we started class at URI. I did went to their one of their like cigar, you know, parties, and they were like, "Hey, do, just do one shot." I there, I was like, "No, I don't drink. I don't want to do this." And then I pressured and I did it, mm. and I felt so bad. But I mean, it was just one, and I didn't get buzzed or anything. Mm -hmm. But I was like, "I'm not telling anyone about this." Yeah. And so, but then a year later, I started doing this volleyball like thing, um, at a bar. And so when you win, you win a picture. And I was like, "Guys, I don't drink, so you guys drink it all." But everybody was like, you sure you want to do this? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be a light to them. Like, <laughs> I'm gonna, and by, by, like, by like six months in, I don't know what was going on, but I decided. I, I invited even a buddy, you know, and I was like, we won, and I decided to have one drink. Hmm. And um, as we were leaving, my buddy was like, I didn't know you drink. And I was like, 
I actually don't. I was honest <laughs> with him. I'm like, I actually, that's my first drink in probably like, you know, over a year. And he's like, oh, man. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a little worried about it. That night, it was crazy. He asked me that question. I had a guy that I was supposed to do a prayer call with, like, as soon as I left there. And I did not, I wasn't going to tell him. And so I didn't tell him. But then the guy just left, called me, and was like, hey, man, I have a, pro- I have a buddy who's got a drinking problem. If you have a drinking problem, you know, you want to talk about it. And I was like, yeah, man, here's – so I was like, I let him know. And then I hung up the phone with him, called the prayer guy back, and let him know. <laughs> oh, wow. And then I did not want to tell my then fiancé anything. But I'm like – and my mind was already like, hey, you're already screwed up. Why don't you just go see her and, you know, screw up some more. And I uh, – that's literally where my brain was at. But then, you know, like this guy calls me back. This guy prays with me, and I call him back. And so at the, I'm like, babe, I cannot tell you what's going on, but I can't come there tonight. I'll tell you tomorrow. Mm. And I was dreading telling her, like, I had a drink. And, and I ended up telling the guys at the recovery meeting, I didn't just have a drink last night. I had a drink a year and a half ago, and I didn't oh, want to wow. tell you. And, like, it and, just sucks. Like, and then you mentioned through that program, it's called the Clean clean Time. And even if you have a sip, yep. that that's – there's California clean and that's like you don't drink but you smoke or you drink but not yeah California clean and it don't fly like any substance Mm. you know (laughs) and and it's whatever your addiction is like when I got married I I, you know I started my clean time over again because I was like I don't just have a drinking problem I got a lot of problems but Mm. I was throwing lust in there too because if any anybody's a guy in this world we live in you know lust is a problem and so I put that on there um and so, like, that's how I keep things in track. My wedding date is my clean time date for, you know, everything, you know. Yeah. And now did the, uh, you said you had an anger problem. Did that, um, did the drinking um, exacerbate it? I was a happy drunk. a big tr- word. I was, exacerbate. You said <laughs> exacerbate. I was a happy drunk, I like to think. Unless, unless I found out my someone I really didn't like, I was a happy drunk. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which happened once. <laughs> well, as far as the anger, you say that the uh, anger is a secondary emotion. Can you uh, speak on that? Yeah. Um, I don't know if anyone can relate, but usually when we're angry, so if you get angry, you're angry because something went wrong or you don't like something. But a lot of times th- what you're angry about or what you're choosing to be angry about is you're, something happened before that. You were confused. You were sad. You were anxious. Because usually for me, like especially when I'm on the road and someone cuts me off or almost hits me, my first response is like, oh, no. We okay? Oh, no. But immediately after, it's, oh, mm. they tried to hit me or I'm mm. going to get them back. So like that's a secondary emotion. Or like maybe you're sad that you let something, you know, you forgot something. Like, when I miss an exit on a highway, like I'm talking to somebody, multitasking, you know, hands-free, but I miss an exit, I I don't know what the second – I think first emotion is anxiety, like, oh, what am I going to do? I just missed this exit. I don't know what road I'm going to have to take, mm-hmm. blah, 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 how much in. time. Yeah. And then, then it's like, ah, oh, I missed my exit. Like it turns into anger. So mm-hmm. it's usually a secondary thing. Not always, but a counselor buddy pointed that out, and it shocked me because I'm yeah. like, wow, you're right. It makes sense because we just look at the emotion anger and it's anger working off of some something else. So we don't look at we look at the anger because that's like the end result of it. And that can obviously turn into rage, which we don't want. Um, that's another story. But we got to like what I said about the, the, the fruit. Anger is a fruit, right? Mm-hmm. And the root is what brings on the anger. So I guess it's it's looking to that to, you know, you know, what is my issue and, really and, underneath? And in counseling, if you've ever been, I highly recommend mm-hmm. I recommend 12 steps for everybody, mm-hmm. every church goer, every human. We all got problems. And I think counseling would be great because mm-hmm. 
counseling is thinking about thinking. We barely think are aware of our thinking. And so thinking is like, there's professionals out there. I decided to go to counseling because it's like going to the gym. I don't want to go to the gym. I need to pay someone to help me, personal trainer, help me go to the gym or a workout buddy. Counseling to me is I don't want to do the mental work. So I'm going to pay someone to help me walk through this. They're, they're my personal mental health worker trainer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, basically, oh, where was it going with this? Uh, where you, uh, you said it's, uh, going to a counselor is like uh, working out. So you, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. So, so, so basically, oh, like building awareness of it and, yeah. um, thinking about your thinking in, I've kind of learned like most of us don't have self-awareness. Like we think we do like, but the studies, the studies, the studies show that 90% of people think they have self-awareness, but truly only 10% do. I notice, like, even for me, like I'll, I'll have a certain feeling, whether it's a worry or a sadness. And a lot of times I don't even know why. Right. So I have to think back, stop and think, why am I getting this feeling? Oh, it's because I had this thought. Oh, because this person said this to me five minutes ago, and I had to like stop and just reflect on and say, "Oh, well, that's why I'm feeling." That reminds me. Now I caught it. Good. I'm glad, I, I'm glad I helped. Counselors you. teach you. You you either catch one of three things. You either catch the event. I punched that guy in the face. That was bad. Mm-hmm. Or you catch the feelings. I was so angry yesterday. Mm-hmm. Or you catch the thoughts. Man, I really want to punch that guy in the face. Like, mm-hmm. you usually catch one of the three, but once you catch one, when you're trying to fight this bad habit, mm-hmm. you, you know, one, you journal it, you write it down, but two, once you catch one of them, like, I punched that guy in the face. What were my thoughts leading up to that? Yeah, what right. were my feelings? Right. So, so he insulted my mom, and I thought that was very bad, and yeah, yeah. I immediately thought it's appropriate for me to punch him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I jumped real quick, but that's, but, that you could work that for sadness, for anxiety. Right, and right. when I went to anger management after that second employment, that's one thing that the doctor told me to hardcore journal. When you get angry, when you have an event, journal, write it down. Thought, thoughts, event, and feelings. And Thought, so, event, so, feelings. so you catch it all, you know, and if, but mm. usually you just catch one. So yeah. then you want to catch, you know, figure it out. Can backtrack and yeah. And then you said, and on one of your things, you said, I like the phrase you use hurt people, hurt people. Yep. Right. That's and true. That's a that's a big that's a, that's a hundred percent true. Absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, when we get if if we hurt people, that means there's something going on with us. Or if we get hurt by someone, what's going on with them? And and it's something to to think about. Right. Yeah. Well, sometimes though, like we're mostly self-absorbed, or if we're not in a good place, we're defensive, we're reactionary. Like right. you guys have family and probably significant others. If normally you're probably in a good place. They, they do something wrong. You're like, ah, don't do that next time. Or, oh, they probably had a bad day. But if you're in a bad place and they're in a bad place and they slam the door or give you a little bit of attitude, then you, ah, and they're, ah, instead, yeah. of, instead of that, they're probably, the empathy, like, what, right, what are they right. going through, you know? And, yeah. and nowadays it's getting more popular. But back in the day it was like, quit being a whatever and yeah, yeah, yeah. suck it up, buttercup. You no, know? I, like, think, I think self, I think, I, I, I'd like self-reflection, learning, learn more about yourself. Fire out why you do things to stop yourself from, from um, doing things. Just like you guys, you guys that have religion, I, I'm not, I don't have that. But I'm jealous you guys have that. I wish I did. Don't be jealous. Uh, I am jealous. <laughs> no, I wish I had. I, like I told you before, I wish I, I had an epiphany. I'd love to have mm-hmm. an epiphany. But maybe I don't give myself, I don't know. I don't know. I've never had one. 
Maybe can, can you help him with that, uh, Reverend Chuck D? Can you send one my way. Um, I will. I will definitely pray. And, <laughs> and if you want, I don't know if you go to meetings, but come come out to one of these things. They won't be religious. Mm. It'll be more about breaking bread and having food. And we kind of tend to catch more than we taught. So if you hang out with people of faith, <laughs> yeah, you might be the true. next guy with faith. <laughs> Listen, I, you know, I I had. I think I had a, a chance. Not a, I don't know how to put this. I told you the story before about you the priest. You told me, yeah, sure. Ooh, with, uh... I, I'm gonna tell you. Okay, tell a story. I don't want to. I uh, it was one of the last times I ever got high. I was uh, I came across some money and I disappeared for about well three days a weekend. And I went and bought uh, went to my my dealer's house up in uh, Prospect Heights and I bought uh, a bunch of coke. We sat all weekend doing coke and drinking and everything else. So I I came back. I I hitchhiked back to my to Warwick, Rhode Island. And I, I went to the, my wife's, and she threw me out. All this stuff happened. I went to the hospital because I was depressed and I was coming down. So I went into the hospital. I, I was signing myself in. Like I say, I was crying. I was end of my rope, you know. And I uh, think suicidal probably a little bit. And a lady, you know, she knew something was wrong. She said, just sit down. Just wait. We'll have a doctor talk to you. As that was happening, uh, a priest walked out of the emergency area. So I, I was like, oh my, this is it. This is what I was looking for. You know, I was like, this is it. This is my epiphany. So I went up to him. I said, excuse me. And he said, yes. And I said, listen, I, I, I said, I, I was an altar boy. I was trying to give him reasons to help me. <laughs> I was an altar boy when I was young. I said, can you, uh, I have a real hard time right now. I'm, I'm using drugs. I'm, I'm coming off a bender right now. And I just need to talk. Can you, you know, can you talk to me? You know, tell me what to do. And the priest looked at me and he said, well, listen, I have a lunch date right now. But if you come to so-and-so's thing uh, tomorrow or the next day, I'll talk to you then, okay? Good luck, young man. And he walked out. And I sat there, and the lady behind the desk, she, she saw on my face what happened. I, I just went I, – I, went, I wasn't even I, – I, I was like slack. I was like, ah. Oh. Like, this is it. Yeah. Like, this is my call, I, I, calling. I, I, like, it made me ten times worse because I felt like well, my worth was down to nothing. Mm. And the lady came out, and she goes, honey, just sit down. I was going to I'm leaving. And uh, – and you know, the rest is history. But it, I just thought that was my moment to. Uh, <laughs> but he actually looked at me. Looked I, I, me. I I couldn't turn away somebody the way I, I knew how I looked. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I might have scared him because I looked crazy. But I mean, I was I was in tears. I was, and I said it to him. I said, you know, just all I need to do is just tell me what to do. He said, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, come to the, this church and I'll help you. T- maybe the next day. I have a I have a lunch right now. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm glad he didn't like go exorcist on you. It's like, <laughs> name of the Father, the Son, holy, holy water. <laughs> no, that's why you know. Get I behind felt, me. <laughs> I felt that was my big chance to, uh, yeah. you know, have an epiphany, but it didn't happen. I uh, there's a there's a proverb that talks about like you know. Uh, I think I there's know one there's one lost sheep. There's one lost sheep, and Jesus will come after it. The good shepherd will come after it, and and that's the that's the crazy thing about this whole life we live. We have free will. And there's a lot of perspective, a lot of history, but I believe that um, that you all, you know, the opportunities and the invites will always come because that's how he's designed to do this. Like he died for us, and he's gonna keep sharing the gospel, keep sending people, and and mm. it could be a dream. It, it could be on your deathbed. It could be a week from now. It could be tonight. You know, there'll there'll be signs. There'll be things, and you'll always have the free will to be like, that's God, or. God, like you know, it's either open or closed, mm-hmm. but you know, and that's for everyone to decide. And people argue about: Do we actually have a decision, or is it predestined? 
I'm not here to talk about any of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's I think it's I think it's semantics. If someone is all knowing and all powerful, they know. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you have free will and every possibility like the matrix. Like yeah. there's a million <laughs> million possibilities and he knows all of them. And yeah, so I don't know. Just a relatable story for you. That's you. awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So um recovery, faith talks, and life lessons. Is that that I get the term yeah. right? Okay. Um, so what's coming up? <sighs> to be honest, I have a list of a list things of, yeah. and, um, I think I'm going to do financial stuff. Okay. Uh, cause, and I'm probably going to do it in seven to 10 minutes because some of the best lessons I ever learned was from our, uh, economics teacher in Lincoln high school, brother mm-hmm. Bruda. I don't remember his first name. Mm-hmm. He was like, a, but he, there's three, he taught economics, but guess what? I don't remember the whole economics and supply demand and all that stuff. He taught three basic things that he wanted everyone to know nice. up front and late is never pay interest as much mm-hmm. as you can, AKA mm-hmm. pay in cash or pay it off. Because if you understand interest, you will earn it the rest of your life. If you don't understand interest, you're going to pay it the rest of your oh, life, like okay. on credit cards and loans. Mm-hmm. Second thing he said at a young age, just put $2,000 away a year. And that's 20 bucks a week for some people. That's maybe a little bit less, a little more. If you do that in a 401k at 18, by the time you're 50 or something, you'll have over a million dollars in your bank if you just put $2,000 away mm. or a year. And I was just like, I can compound interest. I'm like, I can do that. And at a young age, I was starting to do that. I don't know how good I've been doing about it between <laughs> the drinking years. but uh, yeah. And then the third one is never buy a new car. It's not an investment. Wow. You lose it tempers and value as soon as you walk it off. So I've really held Would on. You call to my wife. Al's got about what five or six new cars. I have two new cars. <laughs> if you got money, whatever. No, <laughs> I don't have money. I just well, have new cars. Well, not me. I'm keeping my 2004 Ford Taurus. <laughs> I, I I had a, I bought that first deployment. I bought a used Cadillac. That's how I justified. I didn't buy yeah. a brand new car. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that thing died. 7K. Yeah, I, it had no value in it, but. But now I have my Humble Beast Corolla. Me and the wife yeah. are in Toyotas, hoping to go 300k yeah. miles plus. In those. Now is that the one that uh, broke down in Boston? Yes, it was the alternator. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It, I heard happened. that happened to anybody. I heard you had to push it through to the station. I said a half mile, but okay. I googled it. It's only about 0.2 miles of okay. pushing. Well, it and, felt like yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. it felt like two miles. Right? So glad it was yeah. flat. So glad. <laughs> <laughs> Jamaica Plains pushing a car. That's a fun story. There you go. Well, Chuck, we thank you for joining us. Um, I we thank you for your service in, in the military. Yeah, service. And that we also. thank you for your service in the church. <clears throat> and then I thank you for doing what you're doing because I think you're going to help a lot of people, and I think you're going to uh, compound and build off of this. And uh, you said you're going to possibly do something with your wife, right? We're hoping to do our love story: how to date, how engage, wow, what what nice. two people coming together is like. That's great. You know, especially a very Nigerian-ish and a very Irish-ish person yeah. coming together. Like, <laughs> uh, that's different. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. <laughs> so that's that's good. So uh, keep up the good work, and we thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you. Thanks yeah, for thanks, having me. Thanks for doing this. Thank All you. All right. We'll see you later, guys. Take care. Uh, Sal, thanks for the surprise also. Um, <laughs> I know it was anti-climatic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, before we leave, Chuck, what do you think about our new intro? Um, I was... 
pleasantly surprised. I yeah. I thought you guys were gonna cut the video immediately or whatever right there, but yeah, that yeah. was just part of. The, I was like, I was like, yeah. I don't think he likes it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so you, so did, did you like? I it? thought it was great. I uh, thought so it was. See, he had see that. how this is a man who knows ta- talent. <laughs> how much did he pay you to, to say that? You know how long I work. Ah, uh, I don't want to ask. <laughs> did you? Were you inspired by anything? What's that? Were you inspired by anything for that one? Uh, uh, just, <laughs> like Jerry Lewis. What, 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 what we'll talk about you? that when we get off the air. <laughs> All right. All right, guys. See you next time. Take care. For more information about the guests and the hosts themselves, go to www.bluecollar.live.